Family, family, family. Just so delighted to have all of us together. And Susie, we know you're busy with school. Glad you made time to come home for something other than doing your laundry. And everyone knows Susie's friend Pierre. So glad to have you here. And I believe Ruth, you brought the appetizer this year. I did. It's my signature dish. Tuna tartare jello bites. Uh, what what is it? It's got cucumber, garlic, onions. Oh! And it's got mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Just a little dollop on the top. Ruth, you've outdone yourself this year. Grandpa, Aunt Ruth, Pierre and I. Honey, what is happening? I don't... Are on an all-brats-based diet. We really wanted to find something that would fit our lifestyle. It's called bone broth. It's the healthiest thing for you right now. If you think about it, our ancestors didn't have access to all the food that we do. But what did they have access to? Water. That's exactly what they had access to. We've been on it for a week, and we've had amazing results, haven't we? I've never felt so alive. Mm. I'm a meat and potato man myself. Preach. Mm. That reminds me of a story. When I was nine years old, I had a lot of gumption. I applied for a job at Mr. Mm. Grady's Potato Farm, and you know I got it. I even have the first potato I harvested on the farm. We've heard this story a thousand times. Let me tell you. I went over to the hashtag and I did based diet. Reading about by making it more expensive. The bikes are really giving it to the cheese. Family. This is a family gathering. No no phones. Mom. You know what? I don't even use a smartphone because that is the Russians' technology and it's for spying on all of us. You know, speaking of Russia. Uh, has anyone heard about the weather? Uh, there's a big uh, snowstorm rolling through. Susie, Pierre, mm -hmm. why don't you tell us what you're up to? Oh, us? You know, we're just finishing up school and getting ready to pay back our student loans. Oh, have I ever told you how I paid off my student loans? Mm -hmm. I played blackjack and oh. penny slots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We do not talk about gambling at this table, not in this house. Well, what can we talk about since everything I pick is taboo? Oh. Wait, there's one thing. We haven't talked about yet. Politics. Can I be the one just to address the elephant in the room? Well, as long as we address the donkey too, am I right? Har har, Dad. No, dear. Usually we try to avoid that topic altogether. Well, what about religion? Well, you know, Jill and I, uh, we started going to this church down the road. I think we're really going to like it. Mm-hmm. Woodman Hills, St. Paul. Who's the preacher? Greg Boyd. Isn't he that Anna Barefoot? People don't like seeing a pastor in socks. Do you know what I heard about him? I heard that he's a vegetarian. That's not gossip. Okay. We get it. Families can be wild, especially during the holidays. But we got you covered. <laughs> That's so good. You guys like my socks? And what if I am a vegetarian, so what? Uh, 
Hey, we got a lot of talent around here. That, 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 that was well done. Uh, yeah, so we, we figured this, the holiday season's coming up, and that means, at least for a lot of us, hanging out with families. And for some of you folks, uh, hanging out with families is the best thing in the universe. You look forward to it every year. Your family gets along wonderful, and everyone's happy. They, they exist. I, I'm told that, okay? For others, it's a little more challenging. It's like that, like we just saw. It can be very awkward. Uncle Joe tells the same old story, and... Brother Bob knows exactly what buttons to push to get you riled up. It's a family system. It can get really uh, kind of messy. So we thought it'd be a good thing to do a little thing on families. Uh, I have a series on that. And we're calling this series Blended for reasons that will become clear in a little bit. And I also want to say this, uh, and this applies to our parishioners too. As we're going through this, if you get questions or, you know, a circumstance you'd like to have us weigh in on stuff, um, write it in. You can send it to WH Church. What was the address? Yeah, there whchurch.org, info at whchurch.org. And uh, uh, then the last uh, uh, message in the series will be a Q&A. And we'll take all the questions that came in, and, uh, and you can do what about, like Bible verses and things like that. So um, send them in. We enjoy that a lot. Blended. So I'm going to start by talking about blended families, just for a moment. In fact, I want to start by talking about the most famous, and by far and away, the best blended family in history, that would be the Brady Bunch. <laughs> okay, you just dated yourself. Who are they? I've never heard them. Um, yeah, Brady Bunch. Uh, if you don't know the Brady Bunch, uh, it's, um, the, a summary would be like this for younger folks who weren't around in the good old days. This ran from 1969 to 1974. And then it had some spinoffs in the late 70s and 80s, and they were terrible, terrible. But in fact, this show is pretty terrible too. But uh, I, I watched it. On occasion, because of that gal up there in the far left corner, Marsha. I had the hots for Marsha. It's like, oh man, Marsha, yeah, it's like, that and I dream of Jeannie, I'll say no more, okay? That's just, well, I'm 12 years old when the show comes on, you know? It's just, so, so, if you don't know the story, it's a story about this lovely lady who was raising up these three very lovely girls, and all of them had, had hair of gold, uh, just like their mother, and the, the youngest one with curls, but Marsha was the hot one. And that's the story about this guy named Brady, who was busy raising three boys of his own. All the four of the men lived together, and yet they were all alone. <laughs> but one day, this lady met this fella, and they knew it was much more than a hunch, that somehow they had to become a family, and that's how they all became the... Brady there you go. <laughs> Have a good day. God bless. What, a, what an anointed message this has been. <laughs> the Brady Bunch. Yeah, it's... Uh, if you ever watch reruns of this, it's so dull. It is incredible. It's like, I don't think she's worth it anymore. I wouldn't put up with it. No, it's like the, their idea of a family crisis is because Cindy told this boy that Marsha liked him, and now Marsha is mad at Cindy. <gasps> the end of the world, apocalypse now, problem of evil, where there is no God. Yeah, that's their idea of a crisis, and, and the climax of, of every episode was when the father would say, now Marsha, or Greg, or Cindy, or whoever, we talked about this, remember? And then they learned their lesson. Ah, it's just such a Brady Bunch. I'm told that like 50% of all Americans are now in blended families. And I suppose some of them are like the Brady Bunch. And they had a maid too, didn't they? Alice, Alice. Yeah, because yeah. every family has a maid, right? That's just what you do. So, um... Uh, 50% of us come from blended families, and some of them, I think, are, are Brady Bunch worthy. I bet they are. You just, you know, you're just happy ever after. This smoothly goes together. Everything's in sync. Everything jives. Everything's lovely and wonderful. But some blended families are not so Brady Bunch-ish. 
uh, they can be kind of challenging. I come from a blended family, and ours was not Brady Bunch-ish. Uh, it was anything but. I, I've shared some of this before, so I'll just do it briefly here. But uh, my mom passed away when I was two years old uh, from leukemia. Arlyle was her name. And so my dad had four kids, and uh, he couldn't care for them because he was traveling. He was a traveling salesman. And um, he meets this lady who's, got, who's recently divorced, and she has two adopted kids, and she needs a provider. He needs a caretaker. They get together. Voila. They're married. I wish I could say they lived happily ever after, but they did not. Uh, this was not Brady Bunch hour. Uh, it was some marriages are made in heaven, and this one was made in hell. It, was, it, it shouldn't have happened. It was a marriage of necessity. And from all of our kids' perspective, these two just didn't like each other. They just didn't like each other. There's, it, was kind of, it, was, it was oil and water. And sometimes they hated each other. They would have these blow-ups where they'd, they'd be throwing things, dishes, glasses, silverware, forks, knives, you name it. If it was in the vicinity, it got thrown. And so it was, it was a chaotic kind of a war zone family. For 11 years, I lived in that. Um, I, I, I really shut down my whole emotional, like I severed my emotional nervous cord just to, to not feel. And that's how I survived this thing. And so I, I was pretty dead this whole time. But I, I remember crying one time. From the age of six on, I, when I decided to just not feel anymore, there's one time when I cried, and it's because I thought my dad, I honestly thought my dad was going to kill my stepmother. And I wasn't crying because I was afraid of losing a stepmother. I would have been fine with that. But it was, he, he was going to go to prison. I thought for sure he's going to kill her and go to prison. And um, yeah, it was, it was just pretty, pretty chaotic. As often happens in blended families, the animosity between the two parents gets translated to the kids. So the animosity towards the, the other gets directed towards the kids. And so... Um, I, I never felt or experienced any kind of love from my stepmother. I don't remember any kind words, uh, loving words, gestures, or anything. I, I, I have one positive memory, maybe two, but the one that stands out the most is one time she called me over. I was doing something over in the kitchen. She goes, Greg, come here. You might want to see this. She was washing the dishes, looking out the window. So she gets a stool for me to look out the window, and there's a tornado coming right at us. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. It was just going back and forth. It was snapping like this. And I, it was just, and, and we watched that thing, and the trees in our backyard were like bending. We had these rows of trees, and they were like bending. It was just getting, it was so exciting. And, and, and because she was so calm, it never occurred to me that I, I needed to be afraid of anything. I just thought it was, and to this day, I have this fascination with tornadoes. I love watching tornadoes. I know it. It's just, I could have been a storm chaser. And I'm never afraid of them, although I'm aware of the damage they can do. But we're in Minnesota, so it's like, you know, do you realize, Minnesotans, we don't get any of the crap weather that everyone else gets? We really got a pretty, oh, I get the winters, of course. But other than that, we, we, we got it going pretty good here. Anyways, I, I, that, I really appreciate that. I think that, and then when this thing was finally getting really close, she goes, maybe we should go downstairs now. <laughs> And we, we, we survived. But, but, but on the whole, there just was no love lost. It didn't seem, I don't remember kind words. But what I do remember, as, as I've shared before, is that when she would get mad, she would snap. And then she would go into, she had macabre ways of punishing us. Um, and just kind of twisted. One, one time, uh, my brother and I were being given a bath by her. And we were telling her how we didn't like her because we were mad at her for some reason. Well, I'm like five and my brother's seven, right, right around there. And, and we say, we're going to run away from home. And so she says, fine, why don't you do it now? So she grabs us and brings us out dripping wet and throws us out of the house and then locks the doors. 
And it was sometime in the fall, it, there wasn't any snow on the ground, but it was really, really cold and windy. And we're out there naked. And a car goes by, and like your first impulse is to be embarrassed. And we try to find, we run around the back trying to you know, find a way to get in the house, but we couldn't get in. And when the cold starts setting in, we start getting scared. Because we, we were at, turning purple and like that uncontrollable shaking you get. I don't know if you've ever run that cold. We just, like, you can't stop. You know, it's like, so we're like that. And then we're crying and begging her to let us in. And we're saying, okay, we really do love you and we won't run away from home. And uh, finally she lets us back in. But that's the kind of twisted thing she did. I think she was under such stress being married to my father, who I don't think was easy to get along with. And, and uh, I, I think she just kind of cracked. Because she wasn't like that before she married uh, my dad and wasn't like that afterwards, but I think my dad drove her crazy or something. But anyways, it, it, it was not a Brady Bunch family. It was, uh, it, it was, it was quite, quite the mess. And I, 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 my family's maybe a little bit extreme, but all blended families have some, some of that going on. And it's not surprising at all, because you're taking two people from two totally different family systems that are already in place. They have their own relationships with all these other different kind of relatives. That's why blended families have to have like four or five Christmases to make sure everyone gets satisfied, right? We've been through that. And, and, and you have different histories and different traditions and sometimes different cultures, and you try to mix that all together, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, the Brady Bunch is, I think, quite unrealistic. Okay? It, it, it always involves some conflict. And I, I share that because this is why we're calling this series Blended, or at least the, one of the main reasons. It's because if you're a believer, you actually do live in a blended family. You actually kind of blend two families. You've got your earthly family or your biological or adoptive families. And then you've got your spiritual family. And both of these come with baggage and both of these can involve conflict. And so in this series, what we're going to be doing is, is uh, asking the question, um, how do these things shape us for better or for worse? How do they shape us for better or for worse? And how do we balance these two? What do we do when the two families come into conflict? And how do you na navigate the troubled waters that are involved in both, your spiritual family and your, your uh, earthly family? And then finally, how can we get healing, healing for some of the wounds that we've acquired along the way because of either our earthly family or our spiritual family? Um, I, I want to start with uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Just one passage here to kind of launch this. And what I'll be doing here today is uh, just kind of setting the context for the whole series. So this is, uh, message is called A Tale of Two Families. A Tale of Two Families. Here's what it says in Ephesians 3. It says, For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. This idea of every family on earth or in heaven being named after the Father or getting, taking on the Father's name, uh, what it means in Semitic context and Jewish context is simply that you're, you acknowledge that your existence, you, you owe your existence to your Father. He, he's the origin of all the families of this earth and, and in heaven. Um, and he's the authority over all the families on earth and in, and, and in heaven. But what is interesting to me here this morning is that there's two sets of families. There's earthly families, and then there's heavenly families. Now, earthly families, we know what they are. They are our biological or adoptive families. Or something that Paul may be referring also to different ethnicities here, different groups of people, calling them families. But that much is clear. But then he refers to these heavenly families. What's that about? Scholars think that he probably includes different classes of angels. You know, Paul talks about 
powers and principalities and dominions and rulers. And these are different classifications of high-ranking cosmic forces. And so he's probably thinking of them as families. Those are heavenly families, families that exist in the heavenly realm. But he also is certainly including God's family. God's family. Uh, there's a spiritual connection that, that the believers have that um, exists in the heavenly realm. Now, when you, when you hear heavenly, don't think heaven, like the place where a lot of people think you go as soon as you die, a place of perfection. Or don't think anything far away, or don't think anything far into the future. When Paul uses terms like heavenly or heavenly places, uh, or, or, or spiritual places, what he's referring to is a dimension of reality here and now. It's a dimension of reality here and now. Uh, we can't see it, we can't detect it with our five senses, but that's not at all surprising because scientists tell us that our, with our five senses, we can detect that a very, very narrow band of reality, which is just a fraction of a fraction of what we know is real. So most of reality is outside of the parameters of our five senses. So it's not surprising that there's a dimension here all around us right now, and actually we'll see here a little bit later on that if you're a believer, this is where you live. Uh, there's this dimension of reality, the heavenly realm, um, that, that is all around us right now. And, and, um, uh, and what Paul's saying is that there, there's, there are families that are connected in this, in this heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, in the spiritual dimension of reality. Angels, but also there's this, this heavenly family. Now, you read a lot about this family in the New Testament. I'll give you just one passage. Romans 8. This family of God, he says, for those whom God foreknew, he also, did, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn within a very large family. Okay, so there's a lot of debate about predestined and foreknow, you know that stuff. And I don't have time to get into all that, so I'll just give you the right version here. Um, <laughs> I think what Paul is saying here is that God, ahead of time, had this affection for. The biblical concept of know is not just intellectual knowledge, it's, it's, it's intimate knowledge and affection. He uses the same term in, in, in Romans 11 of Israel. God foreknew Israel. He had affection set on this ahead of time. He, he had his affection set on a group of people who would, be, who would choose to believe, who would choose to yield to the Spirit. And, and he predestined that this group of people, whoever they are, would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, would take on his character, will be Jesus lookalikes in terms of their character. So, so he didn't predestine who's going to be in the group, he just predestined that the group, whoever is in it, is going to be uh, eventually going to look like Jesus. And God would love every human being on the planet to be in this group. That, that's, we talked about that several weeks ago. He claims everybody, but it's only those who yield uh, that are, are, are put into this, the, the, this group. And God did all of that because he wants a very large family. He wants Jesus to be the firstborn, the eldest brother of a very large family. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And as fully God, he is our Lord. But as fully human, he is our eldest brother in a very large family, in the spiritual realm that consists of all believers. Apparently, it turns out that God, from the very beginning, wanted a family. That's what he's aiming at. I, it, it's like, like a couple comes together, and out of their love, they bring forth a child. Their love gets expanded. Their love brings forth this child, so the child reflects their love, expresses their love, and is invited now to participate in that love as that kid's growing up. So also, the triune God wanted a family, wanted to replicate the love that they have to share it with others. So out of their love, they create a race of people that they are going to pour themselves into, and they invite in on this love. We express their love, and we're invited to participate in this love. 
And when we surrender to that, we are made family. God's goal is to have a very large family. And we are it. We are it. Uh, and, and this isn't just a metaphor, you guys, because when you come to Christ, you really are born again. Born again, there's really been a change in me. I don't know why I want. Born again, there's really been. We don't use that term very much. And I'm, it's actually a bad translation of, the, uh, of John 3. It should be born from above. But there's a new birth. We're birthed from above. And we're birthed by the same Abba Father. So we've got the same Abba Father, and we share the same birth. We're infused with the Father's DNA. We've got the, 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 the same, uh, same eldest brother, so we've got to be related if we have the same brother. We've got the same Savior. We're indwelt with the same Spirit. We've got the same calling. We fight the same battles. We're in all the same God's household. We're family. We're family. We're connected at the hip. In the heavenly realms, we really are connected. This bond is as real and maybe even stronger than genetic bonds, biological bonds. We're united in the spiritual realm because of what Jesus has done. We are family. We are family. That's why the New Testament, when, when, when they refer to one another, they refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Have you noticed that? Hey, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. I, I, maybe we should talk like that. Just always remind ourselves that, that this is family here. My, my Pentecostal church used to always, hey, brother so-and-so. We, used to, we always, always talk that way. Uh, maybe we should get back to that, but that's for another sermon. But they, they refer to each other as brothers and sisters. And that's not like a little cute thing. Sometimes we say, oh, hey, sister, but we don't mean it like in a real way. But I think they really meant it because they really saw that in the spiritual realm, they are brothers and sisters with Jesus as their brother and Abba on their father. And that is the family of God. You've got, welcome to the family. You've got a large family. Maybe you might not have a family on earth. Maybe you, you're all by yourself here on this planet, but you've got a large family, a really large family, and it's, it's united in the spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. This is one more reason, by the way, why that the Lone Ranger, the modern concept of, of, of a Lone Ranger Christian is just antithetical to the New Testament. It's happening a lot these days. Uh, more and more folks I'm, I've read are leaving the organized religion, that's a bad thing these days. They're leaving the church or leaving the community to go solo. And they still believe in Jesus, but they're going solo. They're going to do it on their own, their own little way. Me and Jesus, what else do I need? And, and, and people can have totally legitimate reasons for leaving church or leaving a community. I'm not saying that. But that's not a permanent stopping point uh, to be disassociated like that. What's driving this trend is that, that it is the deep idolatrous individualism of our culture. It permeates everything, where we think we have the right to get it our way. Like the universe is a giant Burger King, and we get to have it our way, like the way we like it. And so we want a version of Christianity that's tailor-made, customized for our liking, for our preferences, for our needs. Yes. And so, so we take what we like, and we leave what we don't like, because um, we get to do that, and no one's gonna hold us accountable. And, and uh, th this is a Christian that's tailor-made for my convenience. Uh, you know, it fits right in with my, my schedule and stuff. So now I can have the assurance of salvation, whatever that means to a person. The assurance of salvation, and without the inconvenience of having to get up on Sunday morning, you know, and miss the pre-game pre, pre show, and, and, and without having to go there and deal with people, and, and, and maybe sing songs that aren't really my genre, you know, like heavy metal, what are we doing this metal stuff for? And, and it, 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 you can have your assurance of salvation without having to take up an offering and work with others to accomplish things, and you can take up, you can have your assurance of salvation without all the church stuff and all the other inconvenience stuff without any other time. Why, this is just perfect. Perfect, tailor-made, customized, to a T. <laughs> See, folks, 
Um, like I, I, I totally, totally get why a person might want to say, screw it all. And get rid of the church and get rid of the community. I've been around the block a couple times. I've been at this for a couple of years, you know. I've seen some things in my day. And, and yeah, you know, churches and sometimes individual Christians can be total, unadulterated, 100% pure buttheads. They can be. I've, some of the worst buttheads I've ever seen have been in church contexts. There's a lot of buttheadedness going around. And so you, yeah, I, 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 get, I get the urge. I've been there a couple times myself. So I got that. And I get that sometimes you're in an in, in-between stage. You moved or got a new job or whatever, and so you're in an in-between stage. So that's why you're solo. Got that. That's legit. You got to find. It takes time to find community. But it's not a stopping point. It is not for a Jesus follower. It is not a viable option for you. Why? Because you got a family. And see, the most fundamental job of, a, the, the, of a, the disciple, us, most fundamental job, if we are Followers of Jesus is to follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm profound sometimes. And, and uh, that means that everything that is true about us, that God says is true about us, that Jesus made true about us on the cross, everything that's true about us in the spiritual realm, that spiritual dimension of reality, is supposed to be manifested in our life as much as possible. The, the truth of who we are in the spiritual realm has got to be manifested in our life. All the things that God says about us. So if God says that you're part of a family, if God says that Jesus created a family, he's the eldest brother in this family, and you belong to this family, then there's got to be some way in your life where you manifest that reality. That's the job of a disciple. And I'm sorry, but you can't do that alone. <laughs> so where in your life is there some manifestation that you've got brothers and sisters that you care about and that care about you? Every, I'm not saying everyone's supposed to be going to a traditional church service on Sunday morning. I'm not saying that at all. But we all need community, a community of people who, who, who love us and we love them. And, and, and we walk out life together and we pray together and we minister together and we worship God together. Everybody needs that. The Lone Ranger thing is just not, uh, it's not anything that has a place in the New Testament. And this is, this is a huge point because... If anything, in the New Testament, you find that there is a greater priority put on spiritual family than there is on, on the biological family. And if push comes to shove, if ever the two are in conflict, we're to choose the spiritual family and our elder brother over biological family. So Jesus said, there's one episode where uh, his, his brother and mom thought that he was going crazy, or maybe going crazy, because he was making outlandish claims about himself, giving people the impression that he was God or something. And they saw that he was going to get himself crucified. They're pretty astute. So they decide he must be crazy, and so they go out to, to try to get him to bring him back home. Which is amazing, because it really, it shows, like, if these folks were fabricating anything, that's not what they would fabricate. You would think they would leave that out, just because it's so puzzling. Like, how could his mother not believe? So the only reason you could possibly have a story like that in the Gospels is because these guys are interested in telling the truth, and this is the truth. And so, so the, the, the family comes to, to get Jesus. And then we, we read this in, in Matthew 12. It says, while, his bro, while he was still speaking to the crowds, he's inside of a house that's very crowded, his mother and her brothers were standing outside because there's no room for him to get in the house. And they want to speak to him. So someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. But to the one who told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, what Jesus is saying here is this, that, that you know, right now his mother and brothers were out, outside of God's will. They were trying to obstruct God's will. 
Uh, and, and so he's saying that, yeah, they're, bi they're biological, they're, they're my earthly family, but my real family is right here. Whoever's doing the will of God, whoever's got their mind on doing the will of God, because that means they're, they're part of the family of God. And, and his allegiance clearly to his spiritual family trumped that of his biological family. Now, Jesus isn't saying it's okay to blow off your, your biological family or your adoptive family. He's not saying that. Because throughout the Bible, we find that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. We're supposed to raise our kids and care for our kids and love our kids. And we're supposed to be good spouses and faithful spouses and Christ-like spouses to one another. Paul goes so far as to say that uh, if, if anyone doesn't provide for their own household, doesn't take care of the family, they're worse than an infidel. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you're not taking care of your family. So taking care of family is really, really important. And yet, the family of God, according to the New Testament, has the higher priority. Now that's, that, I know that strikes us as very odd because we don't usually think about church as family. But there it is, and it's all over the place. That's why Jesus said things like, like anyone who loves their mother or their, their husband or their wife or their children or their siblings more than me or ahead of me is not worthy of me. Jesus claims absolute allegiance. And in a world where there isn't much going on with absolute allegiance towards Jesus, people land on other things to have absolute allegiance towards, and one of them is family. And so if someone comes along and says, no, there's an allegiance that's greater than family, it can be very offensive to people. And yet there it is in the gospel. This is an important point, the family of God. Why? Because this is why God created the world in the first place. He wants a very, very large family. So we've got two families. You've got an earthly family, and you've got your spiritual family. And both of these impact us in different ways, for better or for worse. We inherit stuff from our earthly families and from our uh, spiritual family, for better or for worse. So, for example, from, and it just occurred to me last night when I was preaching this, I can't, give, I can't share any information about my mom. Like, what did I inherit from her? I, I have no idea. I feel like I'm going through family therapy in front of 20,000 people. But, like, how come no one ever talked to me about that? No one ever talked about my mom and how I look like her or not? Or do I have any of her traits? I have no idea. So I have to go, go with my dad. I know my dad pretty well. And I get good stuff from my dad and I get bad stuff from my dad. For example, I, I get my stunning good looks and humility from my father. <laughs> as well as bad eyesight. <laughs> but then I also get this trait where every, every ounce that you put on over the absolute necessity goes right in your belly. I hate that attribute. It's like, I eat candy bar, and you can tell. Oh, yeah, you ate a candy bar, didn't you? It just all, all goes right there. And right now, I'm on a four-month backsliding thing from exercise. I haven't exercised for four months, and so if I don't get back to exercising, I'm not going to fit on the stage anymore. So I gotta, I, I'm going to get back there. So I, I get the good and the bad. I, I get, my dad was always a um, uh, think for yourself, don't follow the crowd, question everything kind of a guy. And I, I have that. And I think that's a positive trait. You've got to keep it in check sometimes, but it's a positive trait. Uh, but I also got inherited from my father his foul mouth. My dad, when he would get mad, he could come out spontaneously with the most creative paragraph of pure filth that any of the world's ever seen. It was, it, really, there ought to be an award for it or something. Like the, the metaphors, the metaphors were so ingeniously grotesque and, 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 and vile. And, and the only clean word in the whole paragraph was the. It, 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 <laughs> And we just come out with it. My sister and I would sometimes like parse it. We'd like, okay, what does that metaphor mean? You know, sour owl's crap. I, 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 pondering it, sour owl's crap. I, so not the healthiest exercise for kids to be involved in. So you, you get, my dad, I, I, I'm sure some of my passion uh, against racism and, and for social justice comes from my dad because he was all over that, man. He was constantly talking about, you know, 
all those prejudiced people in the South. I inherited a prejudice towards Southern people that I had to work through. Um, but, but he's constantly going on about it. Civil rights and anti-George Wallace and all that. So I appreciate that. But I think I was also strapped with a porn problem as a kid because my father, his, he was as, as righteous as he was on social issues. That's how unrighteous he was on sexual issues. And, and, and so I inherited that. You, you take the good and the bad. Okay, it's, it's some good stuff, some bad. Your manners, your, your way of life, all that. We get impacted by that. It's important we understand how we're impacted because that's the negative stuff is the stuff that we got to work through if we're going to manifest the truth of who we are in the spiritual realm. But we also get stuff from our spiritual family. Now, you wouldn't think you'd get stuff from your spiritual family, would you? Um, we get negative inheritances there because Paul calls it a heavenly family. How can it possibly have garbage in it if it's heavenly? But see, folks, while we're united on a spiritual level, and while, in a sense, we, we live in that spiritual dimension, we also live in this dimension. We're physical beings and in a fallen world, and we've inherited a lot of stuff that we're working through, so we're all in process. So, folks, dealing with, with your spiritual family can be just as dicey as dealing with your, 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 your earthly family. Uh, you know, we just admitted we can be buttheads. All of us can be buttheads. Even the most spiritual of us can be buttheads. So prepare to deal with buttheads. That's just what it is. To, you know, church would be so easy if it wasn't for stupid humans showing up. But they do show up, and now we've got to deal with them. And so uh, that was a joke, by the way. Uh, yeah, so it's just like you're going to have to deal with stuff like that. And so I know some of your baggage. Sometimes when you're checking out the church, people talk to you, and you can tell what their baggage is by what kind of questions they ask, or especially about what, what kind of buzzers they have. Like a lady uh, some time ago said to me, um, I love the church and, and your message, I liked it, but why are you angry? I went, angry? I'm not angry! You want to see anger? <laughs> what kind of a Christian are you? No, I get excited! When I get excited, I get loud! But it's, it's an excited loud, not an angry loud. But in her past, her pastor was just badgering them all the time, angry at them, what's wrong with you? And so when she, she creates volume with, uh, with, 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 with anger. One time I had a thing where, and I don't do this hardly ever, but I got a really strong impression that I was supposed to stop and say something that someone needed to hear about something. I forget what it was. This person came up afterwards, and they're like, okay, so you guys do that here? Like, you get words and stuff? Uh, like, when does that happen? How does that happen? And who? Because who? they came from a hyper-charismatic background where everyone had a word about everything for everyone at all the time. And, and she wanted to make sure, now that's not this kind of church, is it? People have all these kind of questions, and it's because it's understandable. Your background, you got, you got bit, or you got hit, or you got slimed on. And so you're coming, and your brain is like looking for, like, i got to make sure I don't get, get in that kind of mess again. So we get a lot of negative impact. And I'll say more about this in a couple of weeks. But we also have a very good inheritance with our spiritual family. And, and it, it, it's not just that. We find very loving people here and kind people here and, and people who will help us walk that out. Though that is part of our good inheritance. But the best part of this inheritance is that we get Jesus. Uh, let me read you this passage, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, look, know that phrase, in Christ. It's a really important phrase. One of the most important phrases in the New Testament happens over, occurs over 100 times. Because uh, everything we are before God, we are in Christ. And when Paul says that we are in Christ, he's not talking poetry or a metaphor or something like that. He's talking reality. He's talking metaphysics. In the spiritual realm, and we found that phrase there, in the heavenly places, 
We are in Christ, who is in the heavenly places, and we're actually in him. Your address changes when you surrender your life to Christ. You, you, uh, Colossians 1 tells us that you're transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and you're put in Christ Jesus, who's in the, who lives in the spiritual realm. So that means if you're part of that family that said yes to this, you're, you live in that spiritual realm. Uh, we're like, we live in a bifocal world. You're in this physical realm, but you're also in the spiritual realm. There's no, there's no antithesis there. This isn't a far-off thing. It's right here. We live in this realm. And it's in Christ that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every. Everyone say every. Every. That means there's not one spiritual blessing that we could get from God that he hasn't already given us. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that in, in Christ all the promises of God are yea and amen. They're answered in Christ. In fact, our inheritance is Christ himself and all the blessings that come with knowing Christ. Um, because when we're put in Christ, everything that belongs to Christ by nature becomes ours by grace. He shares himself with us. That's what this is all about. He took part of our humanity so that we can now take part of his, his humanity that's now fused with his divinity. And, and so we're in Christ, so his joy becomes our joy. And his love becomes our love. And his peace becomes our peace. And his position becomes our position. And his relationship with the Father and Spirit becomes our relationship with the Father and Spirit. And, and so in Christ, we are sharing in the dance of the triune God. We are not God, but we're participants in the, the, the triune love dance. And we are that already, already. This isn't when we die in the sky, by and by. This is right now. And, and uh, uh, it's in Christ that you're made righteous and holy and blameless and all those wonderful things. Every spiritual blessing is given to you in Christ in the heavenly places. We, we inherit that. It's true now. And our job... In fact, this is the Father's will. So hear this. Our job is to manifest that reality on earth as it is in heaven. To carry out God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever is true about you in the spiritual realm, because you are in Christ Jesus and joined to the family, we're to manifest that here on earth. To get our mind to line up with that truth and to get our lives to line up with that truth, to put on display that truth for the rest of the world. That's, that's what discipleship's all about. It's really a process of becoming who you already are. Your, 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 your mind, which has been damaged, inherited all stuff from the world, has got to be purified to align up with the truth of who you are in Christ so that now your life can line up with the truth of who you are in Christ. So if the Bible tells me that I'm dead to sin and I'm righteous, which it does, it tells me that, in Christ I'm dead to sin and I'm righteous, I don't feel that, but my job is to be thinking of myself like that, to see myself like that, and, 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 and to believe that, and then to act as though that was true, that's what faith is. It's acting as if something's true, because you believe it's true. So if, if I really am going to take God's word over my word, and that's how, so important, give God more credibility than your own damaged brain. If, if God says it's true about me, then it's true about me, so I've got to think this, and then I've got to live this. Right? That's the job of the disciple. And so I, I'm going to think at myself as being sinless and righteous, and, and then live as though I'm sinless and righteous. Because the Bible says that I am. And the Bible says that we're family. I'm connected to a family. I've got a very large family with Jesus, the elder, Jesus as the eldest brother. That also is supposed to be manifested. So I've got to begin to think of myself as belonging to a family. And begin to get my life to reflect that I'm belonging to a family. And that's why there's no room for the Lone Ranger in this. Because you've got to have other people to do this. Our job is to manifest all of this. And it, it's a process. And lock this in. The process of becoming who you already are in Christ, in the spiritual realm is identical to the process of you being healed from who you were. 
The process of growing in Christ-likeness is the process of getting free from all the garbage we inherit from our earthly family or spiritual family or anywhere else. It's one and the same. And there's layers to that process. And we're all in that process, hopefully, of getting healed. You're healed by the process of continually being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you're walking with God and the family of God, if you're making space for God, there's sometimes God will intervene and heal some things in just beautifully marvelous ways. So let me go back. I'll end with going back to my brother and I being thrown out of this house. I had an experience this week. And what's weird is I thought I was done with this in my early 30s. All that childhood stuff, I went through a series, and I was like, oh, finally, I'm free of that, all that. But then it came back in the 40s. Then it came back in the 50s. And now it's coming back in my 60s. So I'm at this conference this last Thursday, uh, and, and I'm speaking at it. But before I get to speak, there, there's a worship service. And as we're worshiping, we're singing this song, You're a Good, Good Father, That's Who You Are, That's Who You Are. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I hope that you can handle this. But I sometimes, not always, but sometimes when I'm singing that song, I sing, You're a Good, Good Mother. And in fact, God's role as mother in my life has been the dominant healing role. Um, I sometimes wonder if I should talk more about that than I do. But uh, uh, God is a good father. But God's also a good mother. God's beyond gender categories, right? God's a good mother. And, and given how patriarchal the Bible is, it's surprising how much of the motherhood of God can, comes out. Because you wouldn't expect any of it. Uh, given the orientation of the Bible. But I'm singing this song, Good Mother, and it's starting to move me. And then all of a sudden, I get this scene in my mind, and I haven't thought about this for years. That I, I see me and my brother being thrown out into the cold in, in Grand Ledge, Michigan. I'm watching this thing here, and I have no idea why. Where, but what I've learned is this, that, that, that it, it only, like, the, the imagination is your inner sanctum. It's where you encounter the, the things of God. The, your imagination is your thin place, if you know what I mean. We, people always talk about these thin places, but you've got one between your ears. It's your imagination. And to really like, discover what God wants to teach you, stuff, it, you have to like, let go. Like, don't try to control it. Let it go. And let the Spirit move freely. And sometimes it, the way I know that it is more than my imagination is that stuff happens there that I could not possibly have thought of. It's like, whoa. But sometimes it's kind of edgy. And most of it I don't share because it's too out there, I, I would think, for some people. Anyways, I'll tell you this one. <laughs> So I see Jesus come into this picture. But Jesus is a mother. And, and uh, um, I recognize the face of this mother. Uh, this is the lady that I spent three years in Catholic school every morning in Mass staring at. Uh, there, all the pictures of, the, of God and all the saints, they always seemed austere, angry, ticked off. And I, being a hyperactive kid and getting in trouble all the time, I thought, for sure, I'm going to hell. They all, I don't have a chance with any of those folks. Just look at them. They're all so angry and ornery. But Mary, there's a statue of the Virgin Mary up front. Uh, Mary had this serene look on her face. It was so beautiful. She's looking down at the Christ child. And, and, and as a Catholic boy, I was taught that you can tell, talk to the mother, and, and she'll talk to the son. And that's all I ever did. I didn't even bother to pray to those guys. It's like, Mary, put in a good word for me, okay? I'm try- tell them I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm trying. And, and uh, that, that was my salvation ticket. And, and I don't know how you want to theologize this, but I'm telling you, as a kid growing up in a rather tough environment, Mary was my lifeline, and I think God used that. I don't think that belief's correct, but God will use anything if it's going to minister to you and save you and bring wholeness to you, and that was the wholest thing I had going for me. And so it makes total sense here in this scene that Jesus would show up looking like that. 
Because we're dealing with a wound that happened at the age where I was adoring Mary. And, and, and the Spirit is just so creative, so creative. And so Jesus, in the form of this lady, comes up and puts a towel around both of our naked, wet bodies. And immediately we're just flooded with this warmth. And it's not just physical warmth, it's the warmth of love. There's this penetrating love, and she's got a bear hug around us. And the scene ends with me just drinking this in. And I don't even know what, what, what got healed there, all right? I, I don't know what's going on there. But I do know that I just cashed in a little bit on my inheritance. My life's a little more kingdom now than it was before that. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, the spiritual realm is real. And, and, and so, folks, here, I'll end with just saying this. I encourage you to cash in on your inheritance. God wants us to. Like, we don't have to, like, with the family inheritance, you wait till the parents die, and then you get your inheritance. Uh, if you got an inheritance, I think I got $1,000. Uh, but, 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 uh, but in this case, Jesus died so we could have the inheritance and have it now. Your eternal life has already begun. This isn't something you wait for. Our job is to be doing this now. And, and, and the Lord wants us to participate in this, to be a partner with him, to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven, uh, and apply it to your life, for you to be the you on earth as you are in heaven, as much as possible. Get your thought, And spend time in your imagination seeing who you truly are. Ask the Spirit to help you. He will. And ask in imagination, spend time visiting with Jesus, and, and the Spirit will help you. And let, let the Spirit, you know, as long as it's within the categories of, of, of within the parameters of the Bible, and, and it always has the same character as Jesus, let the Spirit be creative, and it can do a wonderful healing work in your life. And then remember that part of the spiritual realm that we're to be manifesting is that we are family. We are a family. Get up all my brothers and sisters and me. How does it go? Slide in the family stone. We are a family. Get up on the sisters. Okay, enough. So uh, your family. And so if you're in that kind of solo place, Lone Ranger place, I just want to encourage you to this. I mean, you can check out some of the things we have here. We've got you know, our house church uh, uh, ministry called Sojourners. But I, I would encourage you to just put that on your radar screen. Okay, I need to be moving in this direction. And then ask God to help you. And then plug in, plug in. Just Whatever grabs you, join a ministry, service, go to the refuge. We've got a thousand things. Go to that Saturday cleanup thing and, and have this on your radar screen. And I guarantee you in time, God will begin to form community. Find somebody who starts with one other person, then you invite another person. And before you know it, you've got yourself a family community there. But just know that going to Lone Ranger is, is uh, if you're a Jesus follower, it's not, it's not your option. You need family relationships. And the bottom line is, you need that family more than you know you do. And they need you more than you know you do. And so plug in and get connected. Amen? Would you stand? Uh, I tell you what, I would ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please come up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and are not a Jesus follower, uh, I encourage you to consider becoming one. If you want to find out more about that, come up here. These folks would love to explain to you what, is, what that is all about. As we leave here, I want you to, A, meet one person that you didn't meet before. And B, turn around to all the people around you and say, you are my brother, you are my sister, and go out and love your neighbors. God bless.